Oh, I have the best, feel-good, adorable, carissima story ever to tell you, and it stemmed from our podcast. Shall I just dive into it, or shall I actually say, Buongiorno tutti. Buongiorno tutti. Welcome to Kimberly's Italy. My name is Kimberly Holcomb, and I'm here with Tommaso. Yes, the famous Tommaso. Il famoso. Il famoso. Okay, okay do you want to hear this awesome story? Mm-hmm. All righty. About a month ago, maybe not, maybe three weeks ago, I received an email from this man that also happens to live in Rhode Island. And he sent me this cute little email and he said, I've been listening to your episodes on Lago di Como over and over. I just found them after I spent all this time planning a trip to Italy because I am going to propose to my girlfriend on July 16th. Like specifically that day. Probably give you the time. And the I thought, time. I thought, um, what if it rains? What if, uh, I don't know. But anyway, so July 16th was, was the day. And he said, so I have everything planned, even an Italian photographer friend that's going to hide around and take the pictures. But I need your help. Could you please, please suggest where the very best place, in your opinion, in Lago di Como is to, quote, get down on one knee. I came up here and I read the email from my phone to Tommaso in his office and I was like... I thought she was going to cry. I was tearing up. (laughs) It was so cute that someone has put so much effort into it and then needed my help at the very end. Well, you know, you can say there are wedding planners and now you're an engagement planner. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so I emailed him back. I gave him my opinion about where to go in the village of Varena. You know, there's all those botanical gardens and those old villas. And anyway, so he thanked me profusely. And that was that. So July 16th came and went. A few days later, I was like, hmm, haven't heard anything. And then I thought, why would I hear from him? He's on a vacation with hopefully his new fiance, right? But anyway, last week I couldn't take it anymore. So (laughs) I emailed them or him. I said, hey, just curious how everything went. Are you still there in Bella Dahlia? And he wrote back and he's like, we're leaving tonight. The great news is she said, yes. See, he emailed me, they're back. He emailed me last night and he said, you know, I could blab on and on about all the details. It was so great if you want to hear it. I was like, of course I do. I'm kind of busy, so we're actually going to speak next week. I would like to say a huge tanti auguri. Happy, happy congratulations to Matt and Nicole. Cute story, right? How nice. Yeah. How nice. Super, super carissima. And I was thrilled to be asked. Yes. Okay, so shall we carry on? Yes, sure. To our real episode. (laughs) For those of you who did not listen to our previous episode, it was an introduction on the region of Umbria. So I suggest you do if you want to, because this will all make sense a little bit easier anyway. So we're going to start with villages, little gems that I think you should make a point to visit because Umbria, as we mentioned, is definitely less crowded, less traveled. It's a beautiful region. I don't, I'm not really sure why people don't go quite as much as they do to the neighboring Toscana, Tuscany, but regardless, it's stunning. So we're going to start in the north with a village that's not on basically anyone's radar. It's called Città di Castello, and that translates directly to the city of the castle. 
It's funny because there's castles everywhere, but that's what they decide to name this one. And I was last there in 2019 and I loved it so much. So when we were preparing this episode, I said, I'm going to start with this little gem. And so I'm just going to throw out a few little tidbits, okay? Just random tidbits. The main piazza in Citta di Castello is a large rectangular one with these stately, beautiful Renaissance buildings, incredible architecture, and it's rectangular, unlike some piazzas is round. This one is like drawn out with a grid. It's super rectangular. Another tidbit is the cathedral is from the 11th century, and it is also unique. It has a Romanesque bell tower that's circular. Those aren't that often. Uh, those are not that common. Right. Usually square. Exactly. And <laughs> the city, I love this one. The city's most famous resident was a man named Alberto Burri. B-U-R-R-I. He was a painter, a sculptor. He was a visual artist. And on top of everything, he was a physician. An overachiever. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was kind of like a Leonardo of right. his day. Right. Yeah. But he's from the 20th century. He just died in 1995. So his artwork, he was a modernist and his paintings to me. Did you have time to look this up? Yes, I did. Because... I hate, I hate to share this, but Tommaso's never been to Umbria yet, sadly, but he will. And therefore he doesn't have as much to say, but I gave him my notes and he did a little history. So in my opinion, Alberto Burri's uh, paintings remind me of a little bit of like, for you modernist, contemporary artist lovers out there, little Rauschenberg, Robert Rauschenberg, little Miro, throw in some Calder. What do you think? I, I'm not convinced, but that's okay. We all see art differently. I do know one thing that what? we do not have that many um, Italian abstract painters. Contemporary. Contemporary. Exactly. They're very, very traditional. Um, mm -hmm. They're very good, but we don't have many abstract contemporary painters. Very true, because you know what? They grew up with that history of it. Exactly. <laughs> It'd be like sacrilegious to paint abstract. Exactly. <laughs> You will find this interesting, Tommaso, because Tommaso loves to paint as well. Alberto Burri left his entire collection to the town where he was born, Città di Castello. But sadly, when I was there, the museums were closed when we arrived because we were there for the Friday night passeggiata. And we've explained what that is before. A little walkabout. A walkabout, a social evening. Right, Mike. Yeah. Give a walkabout. <laughs> That's British. We're in Italy. Okay? No, that wasn't, no, that wasn't, that was Australian. Whatever. It wasn't Italian. Oh, so what? <laughs> it means the same thing. All right. So I was with four other friends and we were staying in this unbelievably cool castle, couple, you know, half hour away up in the mountains. And the couple actually that renovated this castle and owned it suggested that we go to Città di Castello because they have this awesome piazza and a fabulous passeggiata and an incredible restaurant. So we did all of that. After our Aperol spritz in this total like hipster bar in the middle of this piazza, which by the way, we were the oldest people by far and the only tourists we saw the entire time. It was awesome. So we had Aperol spritz and then we went to dinner around the corner uh, outside of the main piazza. And again, this couple re recommended it and their taste was so exquisite in everything, their design, their food, etc. 
So we thought, ooh, this is going to be good. So we find it and we walk in. I was like, ooh, <laughs> like, why do some ristorante in Bella Italia have the worst lighting, just overly bright? It's like a cafeteria in the middle of Idaho it's or exactly, Iowa, exactly. my high school. Exactly, high school cafeteria lighting. And I find it really odd because as design focused as Italy is. It's so dominant in Italy. Right, in everything. everything. Right. In their furniture, in their clothing, the fashion industry, in their artwork, in their architecture, in even window displays, their cars, everything is so beautifully designed, except for the lighting. And this particular restaurant, we walked in and all five of us were like, oh, geez, feels like floodlights. <laughs> Let's stop at the 7-Eleven and have dinner. <laughs> However, it was so good. It was so, so tasty. And for those of you that did listen to the previous episode, we mentioned that all the pasta in Umbria is made without eggs. And so we each had a pasta and I explained that it has no eggs and it tastes the same, but different somehow, but all good, delicious. Texture is different. Yes. Good point. So their presentation of this pasta was so beautiful. It had little colors. Oh, just lovely. Could have used a few candles. Yes, it could have used a lot less lighting. <laughs> so the pasta was delicious. The meal was great. And most importantly, we had this dessert. And I don't even know how, what to call it. But it's kind of like a burnt cream. But it's not like cream like you put in coffee or something. It's kind of more like a whipped cream texture or a light ice cream type look and feel. And like a then, creme brulee or something? No, not well, maybe. Okay. Whatever. It was this cream. And then over I just want it, everyone to know that I am an expert on desserts. So I'm a Yes. <laughs> true. And they poured over it a coffee and then some like hazelnut slash caramel praline combination of whatever goodness. It was da morire. It was just so delicious. So when we all left, we're like, oh. That was good. What a lovely night. The passeggiata, the hipster bar, the architecture. And then as we left this restaurant, it was only like 10, 30, 11. And no one was there. Everyone was gone. And we had this massive piazza to ourselves, lit from below, from the exterior, as all of Italy does. And we were speechless again, just like we were with the dessert. It was stunning. So that's why I feel these small little villages that you've never heard of are so worth the visit. You're, just, you're, you're the only tourist. You're the only tourist. Yes. And in an over in an in an age of over tourism, yes. it's really nice to be. Yes. An, well, the now, only tourist. now that I just shared this with everyone on our podcast who listens to it in 98 countries. Yeah, next year we'll be like, <laughs> "Hey, how are you? How is the Città di Castello?" <laughs> oh, so crowded. I would put it on your list to visit. All right, so moving a bit southeast is a village called Gubbio, G-U-B-B-I-O. And I love, love, love this name. And primarily because it reminds me of the word goober, which for anyone that is from a certain age, a certain age, like 50 and above, 55 and above, you'll know, Americans especially, you'll know that there was a TV show 
that had a character named Goober. His cousin's name was Gomer. <laughs> was Gomer Pyle, yes. Anyway, so Goober was this like goofy, dimwit, but lovable guy. And from there, everyone, when we were kids, would use the name Goober to describe a person just like that. So when I was living in Milano, and this is a true story, an American friend of mine and an Australian photographer friend of mine, the three of us had nothing to do for this long weekend. And it was yet another religious holiday weekend. We had nowhere to go. So we thought, let's rent a car and go somewhere. So we got out our paper map, which, by the way, was laminated. This was life changing. <laughs> because remember in the old, old, old days, school. right? I, we are old. But anyway, in the <laughs> in the beginning of time, <laughs> when when we started traveling, when people you know traveled, even in your own country, you'd have these paper maps, you fold them up, put it in your backpack or your blue jean pocket. And the more worn it was, then all the type and color faded away from the folds. So on our laminated map in Milano, multo, multo years ago, multo anni fa, <laughs> many years ago, the three of us looked at the map and said, where should we go? We've already been, and the three of us traveled a lot together. We'd already been to Parma to get Parmigiano, been to Bologna, We'd been to Firenze, all these places, and but we wanted to stay in the north. We didn't want to go too far down the north top of Italy, I should say. So, oh, let's look here in Umbria. Look at this place called Gubbio. So with that, the American model and I were like, let's go to Gubbio. And the Australian guy didn't get the reference, but whatever. He's like, okay. So we went. And I have to say that Gubbio is awesome. It's one of the most ancient villages in Umbria, and they say the best preserved, the most well-preserved village in Italy. A lot of people say that about a lot of cities, including the village of Todi, which is also in Umbria, that we're going to discuss in the next episode. But it's at least top three of the best preserved villages in the entire country. Does it have broadband? Probably by now. Okay. So you can go. Thank God. <laughs> the town truly is so incredibly picturesque. And some of you probably have seen it, not knowing. But Gubbio is famous for what they do on December 7th. Every single year since 1981, they light up the shape of a Christmas tree with Christmas light. What do you call that? Christmas lights. Christmas lights. Colored Christmas lights. And the root of the tree is in the top part of the village at the bottom of the mountain. And Gubbio is set at the bottom of this mountain called Monte Ingenio. So they have the design of a Christmas tree in colored lights that goes all the way to the top of the mountain. And because of Instagram and social media, every Christmas, every December 7th, that picture gets sent around the world because... It's the largest Christmas tree decoration in the world. Uh, hopefully there are no influencers running around. Oh, I'm sure there are. Yeah. Anyway, it's so beautiful. They do that every December 7th. So if you're anywhere in Italy and you feel like seeing that from December 7th to New Year's Eve, go. But the village itself, like I said, so well preserved and architecturally, it represents the peak of the Middle Ages. And it also houses one of the most significant archaeological records in all of Italy. And so I can't even say this in English. I don't know how 
how it's um, pronounced in English. So I'm just going to say it in Italian, which I might be slaughtering as well. <laughs> the Eugibene Tavole. That means these tablets. Tavole means tablets. Eugibene stems from what Gubbio, the village of Gubbio had been called prior to being called Gubbio. So the Eugene Tavole are seven bronze, large tablets written in the ancient Umbrian language with the alphabet, with the oldest one being from the third century BC. And they're actually like the Rosetta Stone, you know, yeah. instead of hieroglyphics from Egypt, right. from it, like almost 200 BC, I think, like 196 BC. This are, is are just- Are you sure it's not 197? No, I- Just wondering. It's around there. <laughs> But these tablets are from 3rd century BC. They're very important because of the religious inscriptions and even more important because the language is closely related to what became Latin. So hence the Rosetta Stone comparison. And if you look closely at these tablets, which I did when I was on that road trip, the letters, the alphabet, the letters of the alphabet, I should say, look in reverse. They look like a backwards, the letter E. So for anyone that, you know, speaks a romantic language and basically has the same kind of alphabet, these bronze tablets you can recognize, but it all looks in reverse. It's very odd. It's interesting. Anyway, we saw it on that trip. However, none of us were all that fluent in Italian yet. So we had a hard time reading the description in the museum in one of these palazzos in Gubbio. What it was all about. So when I went home back to Milano, I was telling my barista in my apartment building, who spoke some English, that we had gone to Gubbio and seen these bronze tablets. And he described to me the significance of them. So, and it wasn't my barista, Giancarlo. This was another barista who spoke some English because all these men, you know, when the fashion industry got so popular in Milano, all these young barista men want to learn English just so they could fle- flirt with the, with the models. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. Anyway, thanks to that man who told me what the Eugubine Tavole meant. All right. So another one of Gubbio's biggest draws is the Basilica di Sant'Ubaldo. And it's the cathedral. And it's built at the top of that mountain I just told you about, Monte Ingenio, where the top of the Christmas tree is. Right. It is... So stunning, but you can walk up there. We did. It's very, very steep. And I will say that we were totally used to walking and hiking from, you know, going up the hills in Lago di Como in Switzerland. So we just walked up it. However, now you can take a cable car. They're small with like two seats. So I think if you did that, you have to wait in line a long time if it's a high season. I've got time. You can do it. I don't, I shouldn't say that now. I wonder how out of breath I might be now. (laughs) It is stunning. And the facade of this church, like so many others in Italy, is a simple brick face because they never finished. Just like all those churches in Florence where they never put that travertine ornate tile up for the final facade of the church. So this brick face is a stark contrast to the interior with these frescoes, 
from the 16th century and beautiful stained glass and semicircular apps, the whole thing that's very intricate. The whole thing is awesome to go from that stark outside to the beautiful interior. Gubbio is truly full of historic treats and you can even go see it Teatro Romano, a Roman theater from 20 BC. And obviously, just like the Roman Forum, there's only a few portions of the arches, which were made from limestone, left over. And the ruins of the seating are basically complete, but it's covered in grass, which I find interesting. They let the grass grow over the stone. Better for the tuchus. Yeah. So they say that this Roman theater was the largest in Umbria in 20 BC and held up to 6,000 people. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, they had to come from quite a ways to get there because it wasn't <laughs> yeah, very heavily populated. <laughs> that's true. They probably made a week-long vacation of it. <laughs> also in the village is Palazzo Priori, which is the current seat of government for the municipality. And it's relatively new at 1350. A youngster. Yes. And funny enough, so it's it's got its one design. It's kind of somewhat curved somewhat plain and the same years because they took like two or three years to build these uh, town halls, the equivalent of town halls in those days, not that long. And in the same two years, 1348 to 1350, they built another palazzo called Palazzo dei Consoli, which is magnificent. It's more like um, fortress looking, very grand Gothic. It has a tower on one corner and the building is completely square. So these two buildings, same area, totally different design. In this teeny village, I just find that incredible. But you can't miss the Palazzo dei Consoli because it's the first thing you see driving up to Gubbio, like the fortress and the tower that I just mentioned. You can't miss it. It's spectacular. And it's on the main piazza called Piazza Grande, and this Piazza Grande, this is the lure, the selling point of Gubbio. It's elevated above most of the village and it's a three-sided terrace. So the ground floor is like a the stone floor, I should say, is like a reddish brick. Then you have these incredible palazzos and the view of the valley and the houses with all the terracotta rooftops below you and the mountains behind you. It's stunning. And because these buildings are so beautiful, you kind of just hang out there longer than you think you would. It's just beautiful. And one of the palazzos, the Palazzo dei Consoli, houses an art collection that's very impressive and the archaeological museum for that area. And, and just a quick side note, because I did go into that. Each time I've been there, I've gone into this archaeological museum previously in an earlier episode, but what I love about going into these museums in these buildings from, you know, 12th century, 13th century, whenever, you're looking at these archaeological artifacts or art or whatever, and at the same time, you're standing in a building that's so old and so beautiful. So you get a little sidetracked, you look at the arches, you look at the door frames, you look at the frescoed ceilings, and then all of a sudden it dawns on me like, I'm looking and learning about all this art and archaeological history while standing in a building. That's archaeological history. Yes. <laughs> so it's like this double dose of everything. I absolutely love it. So if you go to Gubbio, go into the Palazzo di Consoli, 
Look at the archaeological artifacts while standing in that unbelievable place. Okay. All righty. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk about Gubbio's festival season. May is the party month. And if you want to take advantage of these festivals, get yourself there before the 15th of May, which is called Corsa de Ceri. The locals run up that steep Monte Ingenio that I mentioned. Most of them are young. I will say that. I would hope so. <laughs> and they're running up this steep mountain with these big, heavy, wooden, I don't even know what they are, poles, but they look kind of like a candlestick. They race to the top, takes forever. You have to be young and fit and buff to do it. Then the last Sunday in May is a crossbow competition in the same beautiful Piazza Grande. I have not seen that. And I kept thinking about it as I was writing this, thinking, I don't know about the like... Random stray arrows? Yeah, right? (laughs) That could happen. But then I thought, well, they have it every year. So they've been doing it for centuries. They must be good at it. I must admit, one of those, these events that are costumed and they use well, this, ancient weapons. This, this crossbow event, they do wear medieval costumes. Yes. I There's others in Tuscany that we've oh, seen. All, all over. I really want to go and see one of those yes. one time. Yes. And they're proud to do it. Sure. They really, they're young kids, young men. They're very proud to wear these costumes. It's their history. I think there's one in Siena where they wear costumes and they have, it's like a street fight, but it's a ball game. <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. I forget the name of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're all over. And we discussed one in the little village of Pienza where they roll the ham. I mean, there's <laughs> <laughs> there's festivals all year round and they are fantastico. Allora, Gubbio, put it on your list. The name's awesome itself. The cuisine is good as well, just like we spoke about in the introduction. Cured meats truffles, tartufo everywhere. So go to Gubbio. That should be my catchphrase. Go to Gubbio. It sounds like a a good song. (laughs) Allora, on to the capital of Umbria, the village or city, I should say, of Perugia. This is the largest medieval walled city in Italy. And you can't really see the wall unless you're driving up to it. It sits high up on a hill so you can see the wall, you can see the city for miles. However, as ancient as it is when you're inside, it feels very cosmopolitan, actually. I think it's because it's like a bustling city. It has a a lot of university students. Those kids hang out at all the piazzas all the time. They're young. They're studying. It, It has a very, very busy, lively, daily life. Okay. It's not like a tour, even though it's the capital, it's not just a tourist city. And it's an art lover city. Sounds like us. Oh, yeah. Their most famous artist, Pietro Vanucci, is better known by his nickname, Perugino. And that's because he hails from Perugia. And sometimes in museums around the world, you will see the credit of the artist of his work with just the name Perugino. They don't even say Pietro Vanucci, his his full name. So pretty soon will they be calling me James Tom? Oh. <laughs> That's so bad it's good. Okay. Oh my God. I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> James Tomaso. James Tom. Okay, moving on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Perugino Pietro 
Vanucci lived in the height of the Renaissance from 1450 to 1523. And this is my favorite fun fact about him, being that James Tom is such an <laughs> artist. God, that was bad. No one really knows, actually, that we live on an island called Jamestown. We've mentioned it several times. All right, so hopefully it makes a little more sense. My favorite tidbit about Perugino is that he was responsible for being one of the first Italian painters to switch from fresco to oil paint, right? Wasn't fresco like egg temper or something? Yes, and layer and layer and, and layer. took forever to draw. You had to have the wall wet. Very time-consuming process. Then it came oil paint. And Perugino was like, I'm all over that. Yeah. Right? And finally, last tidbit about him is guess who his most famous pupil was? I'll tell I'm you. I'm waiting. Raphael. Raphael. Yes. Isn't that awesome? Wow. So this painter from Perugia was quite influential, I will say. And Perugino's work is all over the city, including in the National Gallery of Art, which is in the most famous, the most incredible, my favorite building, which is also called Palazzo dei Priori, just like the same name in Gubbio. Okay. That's also like a, you know, town hall, municipal building. It was a popular name. So the Palazzo dei Priori in Perugia, that's another tongue twister. Yeah. Palazzo dei Priori in Perugia. Luckily, we have a lot of good pop filters here. <laughs> a lot of peas. Yeah. This building is amazing. It's absolutely one of my favorite buildings in all of Italy, to be honest. It was completed in 1297, and it's imposing and spectacular. And the same trip I was there, the last time I was there in 2019, I think I walked every single inch of it inside including this National Gallery of Art where a lot of Perugino's work is. But it's not like an art museum. You're in, you're looking at the art in what the building had been built like originally with all these offices. So all of a sudden you go through a little kind of like low archway into a small room that was probably, you know, a, an accountant's office. And then you go in down a hallway to another room and see more art. So it was almost overwhelming because you kept going and going and going and four of us went in there together we lost our we lost each other within minutes finally we found each other outside like two hours later they were having a cappuccino i got sucked in again as usual <laughs> but this building is so beautiful and my favorite favorite room ufficio office is called the ufficio di notarile the notary office the equivalent and it is on like the second floor. It is absolutely stunning with dark wood walls, wood beam ceilings, and the ceilings were painted with like very intricate colored paint in graphic designs. And then on the one side were all these uh, glass, uh, stained glass windows with an amber color. It was just one of the most beautiful rooms I've ever seen in my life and unexpected because it didn't look like any other room in the palazzo and not in a church and it wasn't in a church it was Ooh. a notary's office and you know what's so funny last friday remember i had to go register my car and they thought i'd have to go get something notarized so i walked into that building and it was lunch so they weren't there i was like ugh, banks of fluorescent ceilings on the top green walls i was like that's a far cry from the notary <laughs> office in perugia <laughs> The exterior of the Palazzo del Priore is also amazing. 
has intricate carvings, marble carvings around every door frame, arch triple mullion windows, this super impressive, beautiful staircase of stone that kind of fans out into the main piazza. And above the door entrance are bronze sculptures of the griffin and the lion, which are the symbols of Perugia. They hang above the front door, the main door, the main entrance, I should say, and they're actually copies of the originals, and those are inside the palazzo in a hall. And for those of you that don't know what a griffin is, it's a mythical creature, and it has like a lion's body and an eagle's head with a beak and everything, and then these big wings weighed down low on his back. It's kind of a complicated mythical creature in terms of what's going on with his physique. <laughs> <Complicated>. <laughs> Griffins were thought to be the king of all creatures and their role was to guard treasures. So in this case, I think the treasures, Palazzo dei Priori. And let me just say the phrase in Italian, it's so pretty. Grifone e leone di Perugia. Carino, see? Bello. Try it. Want to try it? Negative. You should, because you know why? <laughs> Guess why? Uh, Shrada, this woman I've befriended that's been listening to our podcast, she said, Hey, is Tommaso taking Italian lessons from Luisa? Because he's starting to say some stuff in your episodes. <laughs> Isn't that cute? Thank you, Shada. Anyway, no, he's not. He's just, he should, but he will. Griffione e leone di Perugia. Si, bravo. Griffione e leone di Perugia. Bravo, Tommaso. <laughs> okay, finally, I need to finish up, right? What time are we at? We got a roll, baby. Do I have time to talk about the fountain in the piazza or should we stop? We'll stop. Let's okay. get, we'll get that next week. Because Perugia, there's so much there. I could, I obviously blab on and on and Tommaso has to keep me in check. So we'll just stop. And our next episode will be carrying on with Perugia because there's so much to share. And I'd like to say what an upcoming episode is going to be too, given the fact that someone in Illinois Won, my hometown, or, <laughs> or my home state, I should home say. State, won the mega millions for over a billion dollars. They will pocket $412 million after tax. You know, yes. that's, that's a lot of coin. And what do you want the, to do with that money? Well, Go to Italy? We are having the episode. We just had this morning interviewed an old friend who's a private jet pilot, flies a Gulfstream 550, and we have a yacht captain coming in. And we're going to talk about the ultimate Italian vacation. <laughs> the one where there is absolutely no budget, budget restriction. At all. The only thing is pleasure, comfort, and luxury. Brilliant idea. And you know what? These two guys, Clive and Chris, are funny. They're awesome. Okay. But let's make this a caveat. We get to go with them, right. with the winners. So if, if you won, you can give us a call, drop an email. And, and we'll tee you up. And we'll we'll get the jet, the yachts lined up, the villa's going to be lined up. It'll, it won't, it's not going to cost that much, maybe 500 grand or something. Va bene. It's nothing. Andiamo. You got 400 million in the bank. Well, maybe we'll just buy them a villa. <laughs> How's that? All right. Tutto bene. Ben. Grazie mille tutti. Thank you for everything. Please, please, if you listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Please subscribe. All of this helps gauge our audience and know how to keep going. And if you're on Spotify, you can hit us with 
you like, if you think we're five stars, we're happy to accept five stars on Spotify. Okay. Okay. Va bene. Grazie mille a tutti e ci sentiamo. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao.